You're about to listen to an episode of Legally Fonds. This episode is brought to you in association with LawSchool.ie. LawSchool.ie is Ireland's leading provider of tuition for the FE1 or King's Inns entrance exams. Each course is delivered live online with a specific exam focus and supported by the latest manuals. Shorter, pre-recorded workshops are also available and courses commence every year in June and November. Register anytime at lawschool.ie and for a 10% discount on any course, just use the discount code LEGALLYFOND. Hey, we hope you're keeping well and staying safe at the moment. Just before we get into this episode, we'd like to say that if you'd like to give us any feedback on any of our past episodes, maybe you'd like to berate us on the opinions we expressed, maybe you've got some questions, or maybe you've got some suggestions for things that we can do in the future. Or, perhaps, you'd just like to tell us how incredibly talented, good-looking, and humble we are. Just record a voice message on Instagram and DM it to us. Our username is LegallyFond1. In this episode of Legally Fond, we look at a case taken against Port Marnock Golf Club in 2009. As a gentleman's golf club, to this day, they still don't allow women to become full members. Although men are allowed to become full members. So why was it that the highest court in Ireland said it was totally legal for them to do this. Welcome to Legally Fond, Episode 5, Below Par. the case we're looking at in today's episode is the Equality Authority versus Port Marnock Golf Club. Alex, what happened? In the Equality Authority versus Port Marnock Golf Club, uh, the Equality Authority challenged the club's constitution which said that women cannot be members. Now, what consequences does this have? Were they not allowed to use facilities? No. They were allowed to use all available facilities, including the female-specific changing rooms. However, they could not vote... Rule 3 of the club's rules provides that the club shall consist of members and associate members as defined below who shall be gentlemen, properly elected, and who shall conform with the rules of amateur status, for the time being prescribed by the Royal and Ancient Golf Club of St Andrews. And the legislation which the challenge is being brought under is the Equal Status Act of 2000. There are nine criteria on which you cannot be discriminated against. Your gender, marriage status, family status, sexual orientation, religious belief, age, race, or colour. Now, there are legislative expe- exceptions. Section 9 of the legislation says that a club shall not be considered a discriminating club if its principal purpose is to cater for the needs of a persons of a particular group, i.e. gender, sexual orientation, race, etc. So if you are a club, the only circumstances that you're allowed to discriminate and say that only one group of people are allowed to be members of the club, is if the principal purpose of your club is to cater only for the needs of that group. And the groups we're talking about are the ones that are listed in the Act. Alex has listed some of them. People of a certain marital status, people of a certain religious belief, sexual orientation, gender, members of the travelling community, etc. So that is crucial to this case. And in this case, the Supreme Court was doing what is known as statutory interpretation. Now, statutory interpretation is where the court tries to figure out what the words of a law actually mean in a particular context. So you can go about this two main ways. You can take the literal approach, where you look at the words and basically get the dictionary definition of the words and see what they mean 
So you're trying to figure out their natural and ordinary meaning. Or you can take the purposive approach, where you look at the words in their context. So you say, what was the law meant to achieve? And then you deduce the meaning of the words in that context. Just before we delve into this case, do you guys think that it's of benefit to society that we have a law which allows you to have a club that only allows one type of person into it and excludes other types of people? Yeah, I think it's a very naturally or a very natural uh, thing to do for groups of people who are similar because they fall into a particular category or they come from similar circumstances to want to band together and be with one another and um, engage in an activity or, or just or just have a kind of organizational structure where they know they can meet people from their same background. I think it's quite a healthy thing to do. And I think it's very natural. And we see examples of it everywhere, not just in Ireland, but across the world. You have expat associations, you know, like even if you take the GAA, you've London GAA, you've one over in New York, you know, it's a great great kind of social outlet for Irish people. They know they're going to meet other Irish people there. Um, so I, th- I think they're they're very positive and normal things uh, to have. Well, that's all well and good, but why should you be allowed explicitly exclude people who don't belong to the group? So you gave the example that the London Irish organisation or an expat group in the south of Spain, let's say. Why should they be allowed legally to exclude people who aren't expats? Because it, I don't... it won't necessarily, you know constrain their functioning if you look at the wording of this act it is um, the, the purpose of such an organization that the membership or participation in hinges on you coming from a certain background uh, the purpose of it is to then cater to the needs of that particular organization presumably as well individuals who don't fit into that category wouldn't want to or need to avail of the services of that organization because they're particularly directed at a group of people. I mean, if it's an English-speaking expat organization in the south of Spain, you know, they probably like to watch the cricket or the rugby and, you know, drink uh, pints of warm beer and, yeah, talk about Brexit, exactly. Yeah, then I can't see many Spanish people wanting to join that organization. A very large example in America certainly would be the VA, Veterans Association. That's a group of people with a shared experience, there are specific needs to those group of people, like, you know, there's uh, post-traumatic stress or other illnesses they've picked up, you know, in the line of duty. Yeah, I agree with Pierce. There is very much a benefit to that, a benefit to being with people of that shared experience. What is there a benefit in excluding people who don't have that shared experience? Well, legally, let's go back to the actual law side of things. There's a constitutional guarantee in Ireland that is the right to freely associate. And I think a lot of other rights are almost corollaries or they hinge on that right or they are enhanced by the existence of that right. The right to politically organize, of course, uh, the right to freedom of speech, um, entertainment, culture, sport. It all hinges on the ability for people to freely organize. And part of that, yes, will not lead to malicious exclusion. And I don't think it is malicious, but I think it's catering to particular groups of people who have particular interests or needs that aren't going to suit everybody. Well, if you go back to um, to the sporting example, you have, like, there is already discrimination where you've got men's and women's teams. Exactly, um, in, the, in the interest of fairness. Well, in the interest of fairness, but as well, you know, the, those are used as vehicles for uh, young men and young women to be part of a team, whether it's, 
you know, GA rugby, hockey, soccer, etc. For years, society has relied on these kind of clubs as a way to teach young people about life and in social interactions. And, you know, you learn a lot through through things like that. Okay, I don't think any of us are denying the benefit of clubs to society. But let's bring it back to Port Marnock Golf Club. Now, Port Marnock Golf Club does allow women to play golf there. Women are allowed to participate in competitions. Women are allowed to use the bar. There are women's changing rooms, although they're not allowed to become full members of the club. Where we've come leaps and bounds in gender equality in the past 50 years, in the past 20 years even, this seems like a policy you'd struggle to justify in 2020. Is it not very archaic? Well, the very constitution of the golf course itself says that it operates on the royal and ancient rules of St. Andrews, um, which is the oldest golf course in the world. So, I mean, by that, then yes, there is a kind of an archaic suggestion there. But I don't think it... um, I mean, the purpose of this club in the first place is to facilitate, and it says this in its constitution, is to facilitate games of golf for gentlemen who are members of the club. Yeah, well, like, as in, you have potentially two ways to approach this. If the club was being open today, would you put in, you know, what is quite an archaic rule? Probably not. But in a sense, is this just symbolic or is it kind of just some odd quirk from times gone by? There aren't really any practical disadvantages to, you know, women who play at the Port Marnock Golf Club, are there? Well, I guess they couldn't become captain of the club or they couldn't climb the greasy pole of uh, the committee. Sports club politics. Yeah, exactly. Listen, if we agree that this policy is archaic, do you think, Pierce, that it was incredibly stubborn of the golf club not to just change its constitution? No, to avoid not, this litigation entirely. Not at all, because I think very much in danger of just being steamrolled by these institutions that are set up by these, uh, you know, that are full of bureaucrats and civil servants uh, who there was a ministerial order issued for them to draw up guidelines on this and they just completely ignored it. And even in court, they did not contest that that obligation didn't exist. They just didn't address it. They just said, oh, yeah, we didn't do it. So I think they're absolutely within their right to challenge it and to uh, to actually say, well, no, flesh out your reasoning behind this. You know, this is legislation that you guys are supposed to know. And uh, yet they were proven in court uh, to kind of to look ridiculous with uh, based on the metrics they were using on which to assess whether clubs were discriminatory or not. I feel kind of conflicted on it. Like, part of me does kind of feel like it's a harmless quirk of times gone by. I can understand why it would annoy some people. But again, this case wasn't brought by an individual seeking to be a member. This case was brought by the Equality Authority. Was this fight had just for the fight or was there a genuine consequence to it? If somebody like an individual had brought the case, I would probably be, well, you know, this is discrimination and it's uh, it's clearly affecting someone. But I'm kind of, you know, even reading the judgments, I'm not seeing a, a tangible disadvantage to somebody playing golf there. Now, as a woman, it might not have a tangible impact on you going out and playing 18 holes. But in terms of the structure of the club and the club catering to women's needs, if women aren't in positions of power in the club and they, they can't be in positions of power in the club, then maybe the club won't be best suited to catering to their needs. And also the fact that women don't have positions on the committee in the club 
could mean that it's more unlikely that this rule is ever going to change. And we've got to acknowledge that maybe this action did come about because women in the club complained to the Equality Authority, and that's how this whole thing started. Pierce, what you mentioned earlier was a good point, that it's brought up in the case that at the time this law, the Equal Status Act, was being passed, the Minister for Justice predicted that there might be an issue around male-only golf clubs, because historically, golf clubs have been known to be male-only. So he asked the Equality Authority to write up specific guidelines that they would hand out to different golf clubs uh, so that they would know what they were within their rights to do. But instead of doing this, they decided to go after Port Marnock Golf Club, which, just as Hardiman remarks, came at a massive cost to the taxpayer. Piers, to get back to the law for a second. Now, if Port Marnock Golf Club had been found to have broken this law, they would be considered a discriminating club under the Equal Status Act. What exactly does that mean, and what are the repercussions of that? My understanding is that there was this issue regarding... um, the Certificate of Registration, that a club that was found to be discriminatory in nature couldn't obtain the Certificate of Registration uh, to be recognised legally as a club or or an organisation. And that, in turn, then meant that there were various legal repercussions or penalties. One of the big ones seeming to be that you weren't allowed to sell alcohol on club premises or or, or during events that were organised by the club. Is that not a pretty weak penalty? Uh, Surely the club can still operate if the bar is closed. It's part of the revenue. Part of the revenue, yeah, it's Mm. right, Um, I guess. I think most sporting clubs have a bar. It's a big part of, you know, kind of having a few post-match pints is is a big kind of cultural thing in in, in these sporting environments. Yeah, it'd be very, I guess it's a function room for, you know, after events. I know the rugby club we always had, you know, we always met up after matches you know, it's a very community-led organization. It is there by the community for the community, in a sense. You know, it's not but a for. There by the men for the men. It, it, it's not like it. You know, didn't let women into the bar. And they they had they had ladies only changing rooms. They were allowed to use the golf courses, and they were catered to in every single capacity that non-member males were catered to. So there is no discrimination between a non-member female and a non-member male. They're treated on the same platform. The only caveat is that this club was set up specifically to cater to gentlemen golfers of amateur status as per the constitution of the club. So just because the club loses its license to sell alcohol at the bar doesn't mean it can't continue to operate as a club, even if it's considered a discriminating club. Hypothetically, let's say the Equality Authority's powers were ramped up and they were able to ban a club or suspend members of a club because it was considered a discriminating club, would you think this would be more effective or too extreme? I mean, I don't think you can enforce penalties uh, in order to kind of discourage people from exercising what is a constitutional right. And we've gone back to this before. I think it's the right to form associations and unions. And then that, that is... To, to be done so freely without interference from the government. I know the, you know, the right freedom association is, you know, in our constitution subject to public order and morality. But in a sense, it, you know, the state can't prescribe everything that is moral. The state doesn't really, you know, it has a you know general guideline. And, but 
I think when it comes down to something that is very not affecting the entire country, this isn't, you know, some socialist social issue that requires a referendum. You know, it's a golf club that's, you know, obviously clearly set up by the lads for the lads. Um, and the Equality Authority is just seemingly kind of trying to prescribe that morality. You know, as I said, whether you would set up a club like that now, well, you just wouldn't. It's not like I don't think anybody would. But you could, seemingly. I don't think many people would, though. Like, you know. So this case turned on the wording of the law, which I think we all agree was kind of awkwardly worded. And certainly the argument put forward by the Equality Authority didn't do itself any favours whatsoever. Pierce. Something that I think we haven't addressed yet, but that they deal in the judgment, which is quite interesting, is the meaning of the term needs. Because according to the Act, uh, you can set up a non-discriminatory club uh, that caters to, you know, let's say solely men, solely women, solely gay people, whatever if it hinges on catering for their needs. And that's the key word there, needs. So uh, there's a debate around what exactly needs mean. So I I suppose, uh, do you have any thoughts on that, Gavin or Alex? The Equality Authority in the case tries to argue that the needs of a person are their basic necessities. And it gives the examples of water and air and (laughs) stuff like that. Now, I think this is a ridiculous argument. And I think the judges think it's also a ridiculous argument argument and if you look in the dictionary the the definition for needs will include psychological needs as well and what kind of a you know what conceivably what kind of a club could you have that would just cater for the basic necessities of a particular group or a particular gender the needs that they require to to live and stay alive on the planet i don't know um but would that have to be exclusively for example i mean for for human beings no matter where you're from or, or or who you are you have to drink water. Could you feasibly set up a, an Irish male's water drinking association? Or would that be de- would that be seen as discriminatory? Because everyone needs water. And, and, you know, why why does the lady down the road not need water uh, any more than, you know, the gents living up the road? So that's, I mean, I, I don't know. What, what, what do you think of that, Gavin? Guys, the authority, well, quality authority are going to come after us next. <laughs> the uh, line in the, the law says, if, the principal purpose of the club is to cater only for the needs of the the, per, the persons of particular gender, marital status, etc. But yeah, if that word only there refers to the persons of particular gender, if it suggests that person, you know, the need has to be exclusive, exclusive to, yeah. to, to a particular gender, what kind of needs are exclusive to particular genders? I guess childbirth is exclusive to females a female i don't know breastfeeding association or something like that that would be exclusive to female needs but just the the uh possible permutations of clubs that would be exclusive to the needs Mm. of one particular gender well this is Uh, the thing they couldn't they couldn't give any examples of clubs that exist that fulfill these functions as you say in terms of like actual biological needs and I think it was submitted that the legislation didn't necessarily have to contemplate clubs that currently exist, that it could be some future theoretical club that may fulfill the biological needs of a particular sector of society. So their whole argument is almost facetious. It's really hard to credit that this was submitted to the highest court in the land, essentially. 
there's one thing that I picked out in the judgment, which I thought was funny, which was they talk about papers the, like you're prepared to. Uh, the I have it written down here. The reductive stereotyping of the equality authority, which is yeah, hilarious, that. considering that's you know they set out to kind of eliminate obviously eliminate stereotyping yeah. and that kind of stuff. And uh, they could not give an example of a club that would exist under their interpretation of the act without adhering to racial or sexist stereotypes <laughs> so it would be like suggesting you know oh i i don't know a knitting club for women because oh knitting would only naturally be in need of a woman or something like that so i think that is absolutely hilarious when you i mean this is an institution called the equality authority which was created for the promotion of equality and the prohibition of discrimination and yet they're interpreting this statute in such a way that if you were to think of a club, you would have to think along sexist, racist, chauvinistic, homophobic lines, whatever you want to call it, in order to find a club to suit their definition. So this law concerns itself with the principal purpose of a club. So Port Marnock didn't argue that their principal purpose was for the needs of golfers. They argued that their principal purpose was for the needs of gentlemen, because they were a gentleman's club for golf. And therefore they cater for the needs only of gentlemen. Who do you think should be able to decide what the principal purpose of the club is? Should it be the club itself, as written down in its own constitution, or should it be the course? Because I guess the concern is, if the club itself is allowed to determine its own principal purpose, in the legal sense anyway, then it might be able to justify its own discrimination. Well, I guess it's like, you know, reading legislation. The golden rule of what does it say? What are the what is the ordinary meaning of the words of whatever its constitution is? And if that can't really be ascertained, it can't clearly be ascertained, then you go on how the club acts and what it, what it, you know, you'd assume it to be, to be doing. Well, I think, I think you have to distinguish between a club's purpose and a club's activity. Uh, and it's generally, of course, the activities probably do reflect the purpose of that club. And I think they go hand in hand, certainly, because it is kind of a case of you have to practice what you preach. You know, if you have one thing written in the Constitution and you're quite clearly and blatantly ignoring what that purpose or goal that, for which the organization has been set up is, then, yeah, you, you can kind of see that these guys are trying to pull the wool over the uh, whatever authority's eyes. I, I think it's quite it's quite, you know, obvious by the nature of the club and, and, what, and what they engage in and what they have, what, what their written document is. Uh, you know, it, you take a bit of both, I think. You take their actions as well as their word and you weigh it up. And, and then I think the purpose uh, or purposes become quite obvious. And another problem with the law, which Justice Hardiman points out, and the example he gives is, let's say you're the Dublin Male Welsh Choir. In that case, you're discriminating on two of the bases. You're discriminating on the basis of gender and on the basis of nationality. But the law won't allow you to do that. You're only able to discriminate on one of the bases. So you're allowed to be the Dublin Male Choir or the Dublin Welsh Choir, but just not the Dublin Male Welsh Choir. So what else did the court say? Well, the main judgment is from Mr. Justice Hardiman. He said that the club's principal purpose is to provide facilities for the playing of golf by gentlemen. And just because that was its principal purpose didn't mean it couldn't have other purposes. One of them being, for instance, the playing of golf by women. He said that the word needs should not be interpreted to mean basic, absolute necessities. It should include cultural and social needs as well. 
So he concluded that Port Marnock Golf Club is not a discriminating club. Now, there were two judges who disagreed with the outcome of the court and the main decision. They were Miss Justice Denham and Mr. Justice Fenley. Miss Justice Denham said that the principal purpose of Port Marnock Golf Club was for people to play golf. She said that there had to be some kind of connection between the principal purpose of the club and the people who the membership was limited to. In other words, there had to be a link between golf and the male gender. And she said there was no logical connection there. Mr. Justice Fenley said that Port Marnock's principal purpose was the playing of golf and it catered for its members who were male golfers. However, it also catered for female golfers. Therefore, it did not only cater for the needs of male golfers. And Justice Denham kind of agreed on the same point. Now, you might be glad to hear that this could all change for Port Marnock Golf Club as it appears that they seem to be making a decision on changing their men-only status. Last November, they had a survey and questionnaire distributed amongst members, asking them their opinions on this matter. And it wouldn't be the first male-only golf club to change its membership rules. The Royal and Ancient Golf Club of St. Andrews in Scotland no longer allows its championships to be played at single-gender clubs, and Augusta National, the home of the Masters Tournament, began to accept women members in 2012. It also appears that there's some kind of pressure, media pressure at least, from Padraig Harrington and Rory McIlroy, who have both said publicly that they are in favour of Port Marnock Golf Club changing its single-gender status. So that's it for episode 5 of Legally Fond. We are eagerly awaiting your voice messages via Instagram. LegallyFond1 is our username. And check our blog as well, why don't you? LegallyFond.blogspot.com We've got all the information on this and other cases we've discussed. We'll talk to you soon. Bye.